Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. The grace and faith are God's plan, and as I suggested to you last week, don't forget Satan also has a plan for us, and he is determined to defeat each one of us individually. He did not defeat Christ, has not defeated God, but he still can win out over us if we allow him to. Now let's look at the historical storyline. And this is a depiction of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, It begins in uh, chapter 35 of the book of Genesis. And uh, what we see there, uh, beginning in verse 10, is something that God does with Jacob, or Israel as he was named. He reveals again his plan. He reveals the same promise that he made to Abraham many years before. Uh, and he's now gives those same, very th- same three promises made to Abraham. He gives them to Jacob as well and for all of his descendants. That is, there will be a land, there will be a nation, and there will be a seed that will bless all of mankind. Now this event here, I would suggest, would be a parent's worst nightmare. His own brothers selling him, first plotting into killing and kill him, and then selling him into slavery. But think a little bit about Jacob's background. He started out not a very nice person, really. He deceived his brother to get his birthright. He deceived his father to uh, trick him out of the blessing of inheritance. And so... Even his name meant deceiver. So it shouldn't be too surprising that Jacob's own sons practiced deceit on him as well. Uh, and they certainly did this in this story that we're all familiar with uh, about Joseph and his brothers. But jo- uh, Jacob made a really very serious mistake, one that hopefully parents will not make, and that is that he showed favoritism towards one of his sons, namely Joseph. And of course, he was following his father's example who had done exactly that same thing in showing favoritism toward Esau. So this favoritism and the consequences caused untold grief and sorrow for for this family and for uh, the individuals in this family. But in looking at Jacob, we start to see, well, we see again, uh, but we're seeing the early uh, examples of a pattern that just comes over and over again. Uh, there's a departure from God's plan, uh, but God then has to intervene and come back into the picture and uh, put things back on course. Uh, and he has often done that uh, in the history of mankind. And I'm saying that this is a departure, but this, I should correct that and say it's an attempt at departure because God's plan is not going to be thwarted. It's not going to be 
uh, ruined or taken off course. Uh, he will not allow that to happen. This is a depiction of Joseph when he is in Egypt and his 11, well, 10 brothers first come uh, to meet with him and to uh, try to obtain some food for the family. Joseph had risen to become second in command in all of Egypt, uh, subject only to the Pharaoh himself. And uh, it's interesting in his time there, despite these things that had happened to him, and the button stopped working all of a sudden. Hmm. I wonder if could could you maybe advance one? I don't seem to be able to get it to move. Uh, well, let me just let me just say, and I know we're probably all familiar with this. Uh, Despite all of the things that happened to him, Joseph's attitude did not change with regard to his family, with regard to God. He was either a slave or a prisoner in Egypt for some 13 years. Uh, he never uh, experienced or subjected himself to self-pity, and he certainly did not blame God. And he continued in his life there to trust and serve God. And on seeing his brothers again, one of the things that he did devise in his own mind a plan to test them, a plan to test, first of all, their faithfulness to their father. And the second thing is to deter, try to determine whether or not uh, they were in any way repentant of, uh, of their past conduct. And uh, as we know, uh, he went through a, these series of things with them and uh, he did, in and did indeed find that his uh, brothers passed this test. Uh, Joseph's response to his brothers was forgiveness and grace. Uh, it's very much a pattern after uh, the grace of God in forgiving us and forgiving all of those who sin against him. Just like the brothers who deserved uh, punishment for all that they had done to Joseph, uh, we certainly deserve punishment for our sins, but uh, for us, God is gracious. Joseph had faith in God. He had faith in God's providential care. And in when his brothers uh, were concerned about his reaction uh, to them and when they discovered who he was they were fearful and he said to them Genesis 45 verse 8 now therefore it is not you who sent me here but God and he's made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his household and a ruler over all the land of Egypt he was recognizing his his ah here we go. I think we're, we're getting on track. Joseph's response was grace. And this is the passage that I just read to you. After their father died, Jacob, uh, the brothers were again fearful. Well, Joseph's just waited until our father dies, and then he's going to really come down hard on us. 
But in Genesis chapter 50 at verse 19, but Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. He was recognizing not only God's providence, but his grace in their lives. And uh, I would suggest to you that this is this particular passage is very much equivalent to Romans 8:28, which is familiar to us. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Again, recognizing God's provision in our lives. Now we move on to Moses. Some 400 approximately years have passed. And uh, God's promise to Abraham and to Jacob and descendants has not yet been fulfilled. Uh, the people are still, uh, they are not a nation. They have no land. And in fact, as we know, they're slaves in Egypt. And uh, Moses uh, experiences the burning bush. And God tells him there uh, that he had heard the groaning of his people. And uh, he remembered the covenant that he had made with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob. God's saying, I'm not asleep. I haven't forgotten. Uh, the plan is still on track. Uh, he was just waiting for the right kind of circumstances to occur. And now uh, he calls from Moses, to Moses from the burning bush. And he says, therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people uh, and so that uh, the sons of Israel out of Egypt. So we know Moses goes down to Egypt, and one thing that he does there is he institutes the ten plagues from God. These uh, plagues, I think, show one, the determination, and the other is the power of God to carry out his plan. Uh, he had already told Moses to go down, uh, and he would deliver his people. And uh, in Exodus chapter 6 at verse 1, he has this uh, interesting statement to make to Moses. In Exodus 6, 1, Now you shall see what I have done to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go. God didn't leave Moses any doubt as to what was going to happen. He was going to free his people. But he also gave fair warning to Pharaoh as well. A little bit later on in Exodus chapter 9 at verse 14, he says this uh, to Pharaoh, or has Moses say it to him, For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Uh, let me ask you uh, to stop and think for just a moment about all of those occasions that may come to mind from the Bible where God has given advance warning uh, as to what is coming as far as the next stage or an important stage or step in his plan. Uh, I think, of course, about Abraham we've already talked about here to Moses, to untold number of Old Testament prophets that he told them things that would be coming in the future. I think especially of Jeremiah's prophecy of the new covenant in uh, Jeremiah 31. Uh, the uh, 
things that happened with the apostles at the transfiguration was a signal of what was coming. The earthquake that happened at the, at the uh, crucifixion, the earthquake and the angels at the resurrection. Paul on the road to uh, Damascus was told what was coming in his life. Peter's vision to go and preach to Cornelius and John, the revelator, revealing to us uh, what, would, what is waiting for us when God returns us to the garden, that is, the garden of heaven. So in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see God giving advance warning not only to his people, but also to those who would oppose him, who would oppose his plan. He gives warning. So is it not a fair question to ask that we should pay some close attention when God tells us what the reward is for us in eternity, and at the same time those who have not heeded and obeyed him should pay heed to his message about the consequences uh, that will happen to them if they do not turn from their ways. So again, we're seeing patterns in God's plan. God's plan is to rescue us, uh, and that will uh, fulfill his plan. He revealed himself here to the Israelites. He reveals himself uh, to us. He's always provided the kind of evidence that's needed, as Brother Glenn spoke very powerfully about the evidence that we have that Jesus rose from the dead. God has provided us that kind of evidence all along the way, and so we should not have any doubt uh, or lack of confidence in God's ability to deliver on his promises. Now I'd like to turn to the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, We find, of course, that uh, we remember that the people have traveled out of Egypt and they arrive at Mount Sinai. And uh, God calls Moses upon the mountain and there he delivers to him uh, the the covenant. But here in uh, Exodus chapter 19, and we read about the covenant in Exodus 19 through 24, and again repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we read uh, this passage. Now therefore, if, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure. Notice these words, please. A special treasure to me above all the people. All the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. If we look in the New Testament at 1 Peter 2, verse 9, almost identical words. We are, as Christians, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and his own special people. Now I'd look, like to look at, at a few specifics to call your attention to of the Mosaic Covenant. This is a depiction of Moses on the mountain when God delivered to him uh, the covenant, what's called the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinaitic Covenant or just simply the law. Some of the elements of this covenant, of course, were found, first of all, on the tablets of stone in in the Ten Commandments, and they were in large measure about relationships, relationships with God and relationships man to man. 
with our fellow man. Also in this law, there were a lot of laws. There were laws from God of worship. There were moral laws. There were social laws. There were food and health laws. And there were all sorts of structure given to them to govern the nation that God had given to them uh, as as the Israelites. Also found there, and this is particularly spelled out in Deuteronomy 28, are the blessings and the cursings. Again, God is giving advance notice of what to expect in the future. If you obey, you will have blessings. If you do not obey, there will be cursings. Another thing that is found in the law, in the Mosaic Covenant, is a sign that God gave them. The sign he gave them was the Sabbath. He said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. If they did so, that was a sign that they were accepting the covenant, uh, very much like uh, Abraham's descendants uh, practiced circumcision as an acceptance of the covenant that God made with him. So Sabbath keeping is certainly a sign for the covenant, but he also indicated to them in describing it, it was a time for them to experience what is said to be complete rest. Now we see that this covenant, if we reflect backwards in history, that it was a really very significant part of God's plan. Not only did he deliver the people from slavery, he created a nation, he gave them a land, but yet there's still one very important promise, the seed promise yet to be fulfilled. And this Moses' law, this covenant, was a really vital part of making that third promise a reality because it, what it did, or what it did was allow the nation of Israel to survive, to have governance, to maintain a uh, structure where they would worship God and uh, those who were loyal, obedient to God would uh, finally and ultimately deliver a savior into the world. But there were some challenges along the way. Uh, This one is a depiction of what happened with the 12 spies before they were going into uh, uh, the land of Canaan. After they received the law at Mount Sinai, they uh, were uh, told to proceed to the border of the land of Canaan at a place called Kadesh Barnea. And there God directed them to send out 12 spies, which they did, and we know the story. Ten of them were, what I would say, are unfaithful. They brought back a report of fear. They said, oh, there's great walled cities there. There's no way we can defeat them. Not only that, they're giants. Uh, We're afraid to go in. And this is a depiction of Joshua and Caleb tearing their clothes out of anguish because they thought it was such a bad report. They said, God will be with us. We can indeed take that land. But we know it was the ten, unfortunately, who prevailed. And the people were convinced, and they were afraid, just like the ten spies. 
In Numbers chapter 14, uh, we find this description of, of this event and uh, some of the consequences that came out of it. God was very angry with the people. and He said, I am going to destroy every one of you and I'll raise up a people and a nation from Moses and his descendants. But Moses was himself a man of grace, and he prayed earnestly to God, please don't do this. Uh, forgive them. Uh, and God did. God heeded what Moses had to, said, had to say. But he also said there are going to be some consequences. Uh, what's going to happen uh, is as follows. And this is found in Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, <clears throat> but truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times, this was not the first time, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And this was the beginning of 38, what I would call mindless wandering of the nation of Israel, just a few miles away from the border of the land that God had promised them. But because of their faith, they did not get the opportunity uh, to go in at that time. And of course, the lesson for us, one lesson, is don't let people who are afraid or people who mock you and uh, make fun of you persuade you to turn from the way that you know that God has directed for us to go. And of course, uh, this, this specific example is cited in the book of Hebrews as, as a very reason that we should not allow our faith uh, to become weak. Now I'd like to turn, this is an example of where people failed in their faith. And of course, God was could not deliver on his promise of grace to give them the land. They had to wait. And of course, we know that all of those people who were of military fighting age that refused to go in never got the opportunity to go in. They died in those 38 years of wilderness wandering. Now let's speak about these terms grace and faith. What is it? What is a way to uh, define grace? Uh, it's original or comes from a word that means a sweetness or attractiveness. Uh, but uh, we understand that it's uh, such words as favor goodwill or loving kindness, which is often found in the Old Testament, is a word that, or words that help us understand grace. 
Grace is something that comes from someone who is superior to someone who is inferior. That is its nature. And of course, God didn't, or grace rather denotes unlimited mercy and kindness. And uh, one of the terms that we often use, widely accepted definition is that of unmerited favor. God's kindness, his mercy is displayed when he saves us. Uh, It is also found in the many gifts that he provides for us to make our lives possible as Christians in an evil world. There's a definition that I found which I uh, I like because it it illustrates for us in real in practical terms uh, what is involved in grace. Uh, the grace or the definition starts out as this unlimited kindness and mercy that God was freely as God has freely given. But I'd like you to consider these examples when a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that is a wage. When a person competes as an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for long service or for high achievements, that's an award. We uh, are, as Sinners are not capable of earning a wage. We are not capable of winning the prize. And for our sin, we certainly deserve no reward. Rather, what God has given us is none of those. He's given us a gift, undeserved, uh, unearned. This this uh, matter of grace is really a two-sided coin. The other part of the coin we know, of course, is faith. Uh, and as I suggested, it, grace is not earning a wage, not by competing for a prize or for recognition of an award, but it's a gift. So what is faith? How do we define it? Uh, it is our response as human beings uh, to what God calls us to do uh, and in the life and death of Jesus Christ and in his gospel message. One definition that I like is belief. Faith is belief resulting in a willing disposition to a complete personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Uh, in other words, we're saying I will trust and I will obey God. So when a person is going, is, uh, is saved, they are asked, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you, will you, are you willing to express, uh, your faith? Thinking back all the way to the Garden of Eden, God has always demanded faith. Uh, it was the faith response on the part of Adam and Eve that they were to avoid certain fruits. Uh, and God's grace gave us all of these marvelous gifts, this beautiful place to live. And he, he had every right as the creator, as the one who gave us these things, 
to expect them to refrain from eating just one single tree in that garden. But they didn't trust and obey God. They rather thought, well, I'll listen to what this snake has to say, what Satan has to say rather than than God. Uh, One author suggests these things that are incorporated uh, in faith. Uh, He suggests four things. Confidence in the existence of God. Confidence in the truth of his word. Trust in his power and his aid to benefit our lives and take us to heaven. And trust in his ability to help us because he's always near. So for us, God's gracious kindness, his gifts, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, uh, God has every right to command, to expect from us certain behaviors, certain response to his magnificent grace. God loves us. Jesus died for us, and God's grace will credit to those who are willing to obey uh, Jesus' sacrifice so that it is possible to enjoy the hope. Uh, He, in effect, makes a deposit for our account. And this kind of illustration is found in the life of Abraham. And in Romans chapter 4, if you want to turn there, I want to scan down through some of the passages there uh, where this idea is illustrated that God accounts to those who are obedient to him uh, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, We notice in the chapter preceding in Romans chapter 3, Paul in his writings, the Holy Spirit makes it clear that uh, that justification comes through faith. It makes the point that Moses' law, the old law, could not provide justification, neither can good deeds. And in moving into chapter 4, in uh, verse 2, he clearly states that Abraham's good deeds, good works, did not provide justification for him. So again, we're talking about something that's given, something that's not earned. Then in verse 3, is illustrated on the slide, it goes on to point out the role of faith has in uh, receiving or having given to your account or credited to your account uh, righteousness from God. And this, this concept is repeated several times in chapter 4 of Romans. So in talking about Abraham... God was not looking at a man who was perfectly righteous, but he regarded him as justified in his own sight, in God's sight. Or if we want to say that differently, he was saved because of his faith. Uh, and But it was grace that granted that salvation to him. We need to be careful, I think, not saying that Abraham's faith earned righteousness for him, but because he was a man of faith, God gave him righteousness. He credited it to his account. It was still 
unearned, not deserved. Sorry, I failed to turn off my phone. If you heard that, I apologize. This is a depiction of the conclusion that I hope we can, you will come to in this lesson. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see this pattern of faith in our worship. In Romans chapter 4, at verse 16, it says the following. For this reason, it is of, or out of, faith, in order that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. We are the seed, not only the descendants of Abraham. Spiritually, we are the seed of Abraham, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham is the father of all of those who have faithful, our spiritual father. Uh, Now, along with other New Testament passages, which we don't have the time to go into, uh, it's made very clear that uh, we're not just or we are not, rather, uh, and it is not just the genealogical descendants of Abraham, but is spiritual descendants of Abraham, those who uh, have the faith uh, of Abraham, and God's grace will account righteousness uh, to us. So this uh, man, Abraham, is, uh, is an example to us as to how faith leads to God's grace being given, extended to him. And uh, here we see the depiction of Abraham uh, and the animal sacrifices. For a period of time in the law, God allowed them, God allowed the substitution of the blood of animals for the ultimate blood sacrifice that would be necessary to receive forgiveness of sins, that is, the blood of Jesus Christ. But you and I, under the New Testament, we can worship God much more directly. We don't have to go through a priest or a high priest. We are our own priest. Uh, and our, our faith is accounted to us as righteousness before God. This uh, is very similar, this concept is very similar to a passage found in the book of Ephesians, beginning at verse verse 8 in chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. We've been made by God as his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I would suggest from beginning to end, God's plan has always been 
about grace and faith. That is, his gift to us, his word revealed to us. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.